minutes it is after 7 p.m. We go straight into the world of money and power. Zulake Mguni, co-founder and chief investment officer out at Benguela Global Fund Managers, is my guest, helping us to take a look at the latest in the economy, in the capital markets, and out in the world of business. Kwabe, good evening to you, my brother, and welcome. Good evening, Aya. Good evening to your listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for taking time out to speak to us. Kwabe, before we get into these big stories, uh, talk to me about the impact of on the markets we know london is a major financial capital of the world and uh yeah certainly what has happened at number 10 has uh, had a massive implication on uh, asset prices uh, least of all for firms that have some listing in that part of the world uh, how have markets responded yeah i just got a positive response i mean as if you quite point out i mean the the prime minister britain basically resigned and uh, i think it gave markets some market participants renewed hope for changes in terms of uh, how Britain contributed to the global economy. I mean, I think since it took over, there hasn't been much uh, in, in terms of uh, uh, reforms that could uh, assist capital markets. It's just in time to put out fires. And I think there is hope now that uh, things could get better going forward. So the global markets were quite excited uh, by the look of things. And of course I guess uh, let's stay just for a second there in the United Kingdom a lot of deal activity in so far as MediClinic is concerned uh, uh, talk to me about the latest there we know uh, one of the major shareholders looking for a total play here uh, what's happening with this one Yeah so so the 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 Rupert family uh, to uh, Remgo and they've got a vehicle called the uh, uh, MSC Mediterranean shipping which is in partnership with them Uh, basically, they are looking to take uh, MediClinic out and basically uh, make the private operator. And I think we shouldn't be looking at isolation. We know that uh, uh, the uh, Rembro Group has been uh, shifting some of their ownership in, the, in what is called CIVH, which is the fiber business in South Africa, and shifting it into Vodacom. But there will be some liquidity that comes out of that, and basically they need to apply that liquidity somewhere. It's more, almost like a control management and medicine could be one of the areas where they believe that they could uh, uh, allocate capital they they allocate that the initial offer was rejected by the medicine board and they've come back now with a, a slightly improved offer uh, to take medicine out and I think they, we will see how it goes from from here I mean what seems to be the issue here I saw a sense announcement on this sometime in early no no not even early june it was probably around may or so um towards the tail end of may uh where it seems there's some ongoing deliberations between the board here and some of the you know players at Remgro and MSC what seems to be the i guess issue here surely if a major shareholder is looking for more by way of equity it's not like a stranger's coming in, in into uh, the space is the issue around the pricing or is the issue i guess uh, around some of the interests of minority shareholders here look i have to give credit to to the uh, uh, medicine board i mean i always had a little bit of a, a worry that if uh, rendo did anything they'll probably side with them and they they've totally sided with a uh, minority inter- interest here they they sought a higher uh, bid price uh, for the benefit of all so so they certainly the big issue has been the fact that they wanted a higher price for uh, uh, the buyout and, and seems like they they got it this time yeah and how did markets respond to that 
Yeah, but the, the response was a little bland. Uh, I don't think the, the share price uh, went up as much as they one would have thought. Ah, it went up nine percent. I think the increase in the in the offer price was about the same level, but there's still some discount relative to what the the, the full offer price uh, is. So, yeah, I, I think. I mean, if they get this through, that would be done. Medicine could be taken off uh, our market, and that's, that's going to be uh, one less stock uh, that is uh, that is liquidity that's gone. And then, Kwabe, uh, multi-choice. I was saying to somebody earlier on, and uh, you know, some big news coming out of France, uh, the French government, they're nationalizing EDF, which is their you know, energy utility in that part of the world or renationalizing because I understand it was nationalized before. A lot of uh, chatter about that. People say, yeah, well, why are they nationalizing in France when, yeah, we, you know, uh, contemplating restructuring, uh, aka privatization for some. Um, and uh, I made the point that, I mean, EDF actually has a massive, you know, hand in South Africa in the renewable space, especially in the wind sector out in the Eastern Cape. Uh, but staying in the world of France, uh, Group Canal now uh, owning just over a fifth of the ordinary share capital of MultiChoice, uh, which is certainly a company that um, many of our listeners would be familiar with. Talk to me about who Group Canal is and uh, more importantly, why, alongside the investments, for instance, in Ethiopia, South Africa is such a strategic market for them. Yeah, so, so, so Group Canal is, is basically a subsidiary of uh, Vivendi. Uh, Vivendi is a conglomerate uh, in, uh, in France. It owns a whole lot of uh, assets. And one of those assets is what they call mass media, which is uh, which is which includes assets like uh, uh, Group Canal, which are broadcasters. I think one big thing that uh, kind of uh, struck me about their effort to continue increasing their shareholding in, in multi choice. There, there are a number of areas where they compete, but uh, a lot more areas where they don't compete. And there might be an opportunity to try and cross pollinate content from one area to the other to basically uh, lower the cost of uh, uh, delivering that content. So so they, they seem to be quite intense. This is a fair uh, uh, increase in shareholding. So, so there may be a, a strategic plan to basically uh, end up owning a large chunk of market uh, uh, or at least control it, and that way they can then influence the strategic direction of the business and maybe fold their own operations and and beam their stuff through uh, multi-choice. I guess there's a big francophone market that multi-choice services, and these guys are in the world of films, French films and so on. So might be some synergies there. I agree. I think, I think that, that's a big uh, thing where there, there might be an opportunity for them to, to basically uh, uh, put their operations together and then you, you can use the same transponders to, to basically beam the, the content down to, to whichever area you choose to. Yeah, and then, I mean, I guess the the other question is, of course, who are some of the other shareholders of multi-choice? I mean, ever since it was spun out of uh, Naspers and uh, during that unbundling there that uh, Van Dyke and others led. Yeah, but the, 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 I was saying earlier to, to some colleagues that multi-choice is a business that doesn't have a big anti-shareholding. And, and I mean, Group, group Canal has actually now become that, that big shareholder. But you've got the likes of the PIC, Alan Gray, uh, M&G, which is the old potential BlackRock, they, they all uh, have meaningful stakes in the in the business. But 
if you look at the, the big uh, three players outside Group Canal, you're talking about uh, in the order of, say, 25%. You have Alan Gray, uh, Prudential, and Public Investment Corporation. So, so that might be an opportunity for them to consolidate this, uh, this business uh, in terms of the shareholdings. And then it seems, you know, I mean, a lot of people were speaking about Boris Johnson earlier on and a few months, a few weeks ago, we were talking about the looming summer of discontent out in the United Kingdom. Uh, it seems uh, that uh, possibility is not too far from our own neck of the woods here in South Africa. Saftu indicating that they are out on strike uh, in August, uh, I guess, lamenting what all of us are crying about. Cost of living, load shedding, you know, just the pressure at our firm and a household level of living uh, in this economy during this time. I mean, it's just expensive just to breathe, uh, Kwabe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I mean, I looked at that announcement and, and I liked it a bit because there is a big disconnect between uh, uh, Safti's muscle and the outcome that they want. That, that national shutdown or lockdown, I, I don't know if they can, they can pull it off. I think they are not a brand like you have Kosati. I mean, just feel in the numbers. Safi is about 800,000. Mm. Uh, is about 1.8 million sure. uh, members. So, so they don't have that muscle. And what you, where it matters is that there is a disconnect between the ground. The, the only connection is through working people. And they need to be able to mobilize the unemployed mm. as well to make it a, a big deal. Sure. So, so I, I do think that the intentions are good. And the, the but but the problem is I don't think they'll be able to do do it in such a way that it can shake opinions in in government. I think the government is yeah we 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 are uh, helpless at the moment. Interestingly, I mean, you know, Kosatu called for a stay away la- last year, I think. Um, yeah. or they called for people to come out on strike. It wasn't necessarily a stay away. I mean, it would have worked if it was a stay away because the restrictions had already sort of made many people work from home and, you know, so it probably would have been, what are you saying? But effectively, they also had um, a bit of an anti-climax for that uh, action. And uh, I think, you know, that's something that Saftu will be thinking about. But it speaks volumes, Kwabe, uh, of, um, you know, the, the cost of disunity in the working class at this moment. I mean... You know, where people are taking a battering, real wages taking a battering, you know, um, and it makes one wonder whether or not, you know, it might be helpful if you combine their 800,000 with Kosatu's 1.8. And if you're lucky, maybe get close on just over 1.5 million people on the streets. That would be a show of force, but highly unlikely. Certainly, if they took that route, that would have been fantastic. I think, I think what you're thinking about, uh, 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 it's not too from what you saw in the mining area where mm. the, the rivals actually uh, plugged together to get an outcome. But what is different in this case is that one party has already gone out to say, with this, we're going to be doing this. If they go back to their uh, uh, rivals to say, join us in this, it's like, you know, uh, we join in their action as opposed to a collective. And those small little nuances matter in terms of showing who's in power in the in the union environment. But I do think that there is a need for a message to be sent to, to the government, uh, especially the, the leadership of, of the of the government. 
that are well protected and cocooned in their comfortable generators and all these things to realize what's happening to the, to, to, to the economy. But we do need a well-mobilized machine that has some ground forces. For mm. example, if the EFF said they're joining this, that would make a big deal. Uh, that would yeah. enable them to access the unemployed exactly. and they can bring the, the message home. Hey, Kwabe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're also even hearing now um, ANC members saying they're also going to go out on strike. Um, so I, I think it's a sign of the times, man. But, but Kwabe, I mean, I, you know, since you and I spoke, I think a lot of things have happened. And I'd love to hear just briefly your thoughts on this load shedding situation. I mean, you know, uh, I'm sure there are many investors, many people whose money you manage who are saying, aye, aye guys, uh-uh, uh-uh, this thing now is, is making us shift our money elsewhere. You know, what are, what are people saying there in the market? I, I think people are concerned. I mean, the, the, the impact on the economy is going to be material. And I think uh, we are seeing that uh, this coincided with uh, the FSCA opening up the regulations to, to, for investors to, to invest up to 45% offshore. So, so we might see quite a meaningful amount of money leaving South Africa because if you look at the market, the equity market, how are they going to be able to deliver growth when there is no power in the economy, or at least there's no reliable power? And that would actually stall the ability to, uh, to drive growth. And because of that, I think the market might actually, we might see our market going sideways, but uh, people putting money offshore. Yo, and I guess with what we saw from Reg 28 yesterday, um, is it going to be easier? Well, the, the, the increase in the, in the infrastructure uh, product, I think, is a fantastic thing. But I think where the problem is, is uh, and then when I started a renewable energy uh, business years ago, which mm. we sold a while ago, sure. uh, the, the point about it is the investors are not willing to commit to a 20-year lock-in uh, in, in that kind of product. So there has to be a mechanism that is developed to basically uh, increase liquidity in that space. For it, to be a viable space for investors to put money in and, and put it out when they need it. But if they're going to be locked in for 20 years, I don't know if we're going to see any meaningful take-up of that. Yeah, eh? Eh, one of these things. Kwabe, maybe then just the last one, uh, just as uh, we wrap up. Um, I guess, uh, you know, just some of your thoughts on Bidvest. Now, I did some numbers uh, before we came on air. Um, Bidvest effectively has in South Africa, they've got about 93,000 employees, which effectively yeah. is just shy of a full percentage point of all non-agricultural employment. That's no mean feat. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. I mean, it's a, it's a big company. It's a, it's, a, it's a big employer. And if you look at where they're playing in terms of the staff numbers, it's probably the middle to lower income uh, uh, employees. So they they playing quite a meaningful role in the in the in the SA economy. Kwabe, we'll have to leave it there. But wait, maybe before we do, the foray out into Australia. What do you make of this? And uh, I guess taking up a facilities management operation, which complements some of uh, their action here in South Africa. I think it's a good move. I think, uh, uh, but in terms of numbers, I mean, if I just use your numbers of 90, uh, 98,000. Uh, that, that business is about uh, 2,500. So it's about 3% of their uh, employee base. So if you use the same revenue per employee, you'd probably get to 3% contribution. So it's not going to be 
uh, significant in their lives, but it's uh, at least a, a diversification move. Kwabe, just before I wrap up with you, let me tell you something interesting that's happening now. Uh, Minister of Public Enterprises, Pravin Gordon, is speaking at the Witt School of Governance. Uh, and we understand he's just been, uh, I guess, booed uh, over the last three or four minutes ago by Witt students who are saying, we don't want you here, um, you know, we're in the dark and so on. Uh, yeah, sign of the times, I guess. Uh, I, I do think all these uh, uh, old ministers need to come out and give uh, other people that I, I give uh, an opportunity. I, I think, I mean, Minister Godan has been in, in government for a long time, and I don't think this time he serves us very well. I, mean, I think he, he should actually consider his options. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I, I like how diplomatic you say, he should consider his options. Uh, that's a nice <laughs> diplomatic English to say, Skatis Peli Lebab. Kwabe, always a pleasure, my brother, catching up with you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Arya. Zola the Chief Investment Officer and founder at Benguela Global Fund Managers, helping us with our wrap of the top business stories.